Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Seth, to my Evan. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing really well. All right. That was, that was really quiet, too, compared to the how loud I'm talking. That seemed appropriate. Uh, uh, and our very own McLovin. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? Yeah, Muhammad's like the number one name in the world. <laughs> what do you say about that? Also, also really cool. Yeah, Muhammad's turn me like, up. Turn me up. Muhammad's no, like right the here. number one, number one name in the world right now. You didn't go to Muhammad. You went McLovin. You one name. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is the only Seahawks podcast that solemnly swears we'll never eat food on this podcast again. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a joke. That's a real inside baseball joke right there. Uh, so uh, we're getting into some Seahawks news this week. The Seahawks, your very own Seahawks, held rookie training camp. There was uh, interviews with rookies. There was signings of rookies. There was things involving rookies. And uh, players that aren't actually rookies anymore, but still get invited to rookie camp. Yeah, there was like rookies. a whole bunch of second-year and third-year players. The Seahawks Ninja decided rookies. to keep five of them. I'm going to read their names, and I'm going to add one fake name. You have to decide which one is the fake name. Are you guys ready for... Which one of these guys did not get signed after minicamp tryouts? Now, Kevin, don't spoil this for me because you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one. All to right, trip here up. we go. Are you ready? Let's do, Let's do it. it. Nick Callender, Tra- Tavon Mutcherson, Avery Young, Thomas McClintock, Marcus Henry, and Demorier Stringfellow. Eric, which one of those is not a real Seahawks rookie that just got signed? Candy Cummings. Nope, that wasn't it. Oh, Eric, Kevin, I'm, I'm going to go Nick Callender. Uh, that I, is incor- incorrect. Oh, Nick Callender so, is an offensive tackle that is now a Seattle Seahawk. The uh, <laughs> I, I'm really glad, by the way, that we signed the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. That makes me pretty <laughs> happy. But uh, I believe the answer would be was Thomas McClintock. McClintock. Yeah, I made that name up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Demorier sounds like a '70s detective. Demorier Stringfellow sounds like it's straight out of that Key and Peele. Sketch. He plays for UW. And uh, same with Tavon Mutcherson. Okay, so Mutcherson's the only actual rookie. Uh, he he played with Shaquille and Shaquem Griffin at UCF. He went undrafted this year. I think he's pretty much here on their recommendation. They said, hey, coach, this guy's good. Give him a shot. And, and uh, This franchise has done that before. It was on Richard Sherman's recommendation. We ended up with uh, Doug Baldwin. And we see how that worked out. Yeah, give him a, get, get him in here for free. Let him compete. I like the I like the style. Uh, Stringfellow, Henry, Nick Callender, and Avery Young have all spent time on it. Uh, NFL rosters or practice squads in the last two years. Stringfellow actually had uh, 46 passes in his last year at Ole Miss. He, his senior year is actually pretty decent, so I'm surprised that he was just available to uh, kind of sign off off the scrap heap like that. He was a late-round pick by the Dolphins, uh, release and pick up a couple of times with the uh, Dolphins and the Jets, and then he ends up on the Jets practice squad at the end of last year. When they were collecting tall receivers, I'm going to tell you his <laughs> NFC his NFC West scout for the uh, for the draft is this. It says NFC West scout says I like him better than a lot of scouts I talk to. He competes and he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. I'm hoping he's there for us on the third day. If that is not a Seahawks scout, I will eat a hat. That is 100 <laughs> percent something one of our scouts would say. And I think this was just us getting him a year late. Yeah, he's about 6'2", 210. He's that bigger body receiver that we're always looking for. He's good um, at high-pointing balls, too. Yep. He's a good 50-50 ball guy, and we're paying the right amount for him. Yeah. he's he, There's no no skin off our back if he doesn't make the team, and if he does make the team, that is freaking awesome. Yep. Uh, all right. So that's basically uh, the news out of rookie camp. There's If you go online, you can find lots of interviews. The You could find... Lots of uh, press conferences. I don't find that stuff to be super interesting, but if you want to watch it, I won't blame you for that. Um, I just don't, I don't know. It's just basically like, hopefully one of these guys doesn't have good media training because like if they if they do have good media training, those interviews are always super boring. Yeah. Um, the other thing, so uh, Trey Flowers, who is uh, one of the day three picks for the Seahawks in the draft, they've confirmed they are converting him to cornerback yeah, for they're... first tryout. Makes a lot of sense. He's, you know, 6'2", 6'3", has really long arms, um, fits the physical profile of what we like at a cornerback. He played corner in high school, but converted to safety because Oklahoma State had a lot of uh, corners when he came in, and it was his fastest path to the playtime. I suspect this is going to be a project that takes a while. If we if we bears fruit, it will be uh, after one or two seasons, kind of like Shed. Yes. Uh, this is a very Shed-like project where we're converting a safety to corner. Uh, my hope is that they just don't jerk him around. You know, if, if he's a corner now, he should be a corner forever. 
Uh, Dixon took over uh, as Bootzilla. He was kind of the the Twitter darling of this camp. He really booted a lot of lot of really long punts. Um, are you guys are you guys excited for the Michael Dixon experience? Eric, we'll start with you. Yeah, actually, we talked about this months ago. John Ryan, we can shave a little off our salary cap, but really, our punting game hasn't been that good. If we spend a high draft pick on a punter, and he seems like he can be like a really good punter in the NFL, like top five. Bring them on. All players have to leave, and we got rid of a lot of beloved Seahawks this year. So let's just get rid of one more. The Ke- Seahawks, the, the Seahawks Nest podcast, number one player. Kevin, uh, you, you, there's a lot of rumors going around that this guy can do a drop kick through the uprights at about 50 to 60 yards. Do you think the Seahawks will ever bust that out and try it in a game? Like, because if you drop kick it through the uprights 60 yards out, you get a, you get three points. Do you think the Seahawks will ever go for that? I could see them trying it at least in a preseason game to see if it would work. And I think that Pete Carroll would love the idea of being able to make the opposing team think about that. I like it's just, it's just insane. It's dumb. To me. It's great. Um, a lot of people are critical of this draft pick when it happened, saying a fit, the fifth round pick 12 is a, a little too soon for a punter. Uh, in terms of overall value, Eric, what do you think that that is too soon, or does that seem like? Does that seem like a right the right place to draft uh, your punter? Man, we didn't we didn't get this guy in the first three rounds. I think it's the right spot, and a run on punters happened after we made that pick. And I heard Denver was laughing in their war room. Shut up, forty three to eight. What do you know? Also, the pick we gave them was like round seven, pick two. It's like that. No, it was like round seven, pick nine. It was worse than that. Yeah, but it's like not a great pick. Like who cares? No, and that's that's why we made so many draft day moves is so we could play around with it. And honestly, to get a player that's going to stick around for years in the fifth round, that's what we're looking for. And if it's a really good punter, hey, we're not going to be doing this probably again for, what, 10 more years? I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's the big thing with a punter is you're looking at uh, sustained value over the course of a long career. They will provide um, a lot of snaps. And, you know, fifth round is where I feel like you want to do that. If they draft him any earlier than that, I do question it. But rounds five, six, seven, you're throwing darts. All right. And um, that's that's basically all of my my rookie base news. I have other Seahawks news, but that's all my rookie base news. Kevin, was there any rookie uh, stories you thought were interesting this coming out of this rookie camp? Well, the other thing I think is interesting is the team's currently carrying four fullbacks. Yeah, that's not going to hold up. (laughs) I had no idea. That guy from Michigan, though, that guy's big. He's very, very large. And he also (laughs) has flexibility as far as playing blocking tight end. So that gives him a little more value. There's another guy who's a defensive end. And I think the odds heavily favor a person with position flexibility being the guy who gets that fullback spot. I think that's big for the way that the Seahawks like to construct a roster. One of the big stories coming out of rookie camp, though, to transition us into something different. Uh, Schottenheimer was very hands-on with the offense, uh, telling Alex McGough, McGough, I don't know. Yes. And he, being, he was very particular about where guys stood. He was moving guys here. You're one foot off. You need to be one foot farther this way. Um, it's very different than what um, Daryl Bevel. Bevel was like during camp. Um, what kind of impact do you guys think that the Schottenheimer style is going to make on this team? Kevin, go, do you want to go, go first? Sure. Okay. Um, so this is something that's already been discussed. Uh, Pete Carroll out on the practice field was talking about how he's noticed as they go to do a couple of reps, he'll see the way that Solari or uh, Schottenheimer runs a rep, and he'll actually talk to the assistant coaches about this. I think it's one of those things where the Seahawks, uh, the mainstays of the staff, had stayed there for so long that in a lot of ways, I feel like uh, Pete Carroll fully handed the keys to the house to them. And so I think you're going to see Pete Carroll more invested in this offense and Schottenheimer as a hands-on coach. I just think it's always one of those things where when you have a guy leave that's been there for a while like Bevel, it's good to have a contrast in styles just because they need to hear a different voice. So I don't necessarily think that the one style is better than the other, but I do think it's a good thing to have a difference. Uh, I, I will say it's better than the other only because we saw what Bevel did and we talked about I don't know. We talked a lot about toxic differential, the stat over the last few years, and I'm sure that we'll bring it up again, but we always lamented how the Seahawks offense was built around big plays, kind of, you know, ticking away at something, chipping away until we could bust that big play. And I'm not saying that that's not what every team does, because let's face it, unless you're the the Kurt Warner-led Rams, you're not, you know, bombing the the ball down the field all the, the time. Greatest show on the turf. greatest show on turf. But at the same time, it, this is something new, and... 
we always bitched about Bevel. The year we won the Super Bowl, you can go back and listen to those podcasts, and every week we're like, you know, we, we barely won that game. It would be nice if we'd open up the offense. This is a new day. It's it's so exciting to see what we're going to do in this season. Yeah, one thing for me is that they never really handed the keys to the whole offense to one guy like they did with Schottenheimer. Uh, Bevel never – it was never Bevel's offense. It was Bevel's passing game and Cable's run game, which makes a, like a pass like – a, like a play like a run-pass option a real weird play call because, yeah, what do you – whose play is that? It's just – it, no it, accountability. Our offense definitely lacked accountability and cohesiveness. And I think that having Schottenheimer is it's Schottenheimer's offense now. And yeah, Schottenheimer is borderline like a quarterback's coach almost too. Like, yeah, we have a quarterback's coach, but Schottenheimer is going to be real hands on with the quarterback. And I think it's all going to work super, super good. I think a li- the Seahawks are being a little underestimated by the general public right now, which is exactly probably where they want to be. Uh, the last Seahawks story this week Cliff Avil retired. Uh, Cliff Averill was a um, an excellent uh, Seahawk. He played for way less money than I think that he should have. I think he, he built should, houses. Um, he built houses in Haiti. He was a charitable worker, and now he you can listen to him in drive time every day on KJR 950. This is the first time I'll ever recommend listening to one of their radio shows. Got him. Just might be the last time too. <laughs> is he? Is he? Is he moved into that full time? Yeah, he's the, yeah. Mid, yep. he's the midday co-host with Jason Bucket. Should be pretty cool. I Cliff Averill, wonderful human being. Yeah, I like Cliff. Uh, you know what I like about this the most? That I don't have to worry about seeing him suit up yeah. for another team. And yeah. Selfishly, I, was, I, I love that. I was going to say, I don't have to worry about him suiting up and hurting himself again. Because yeah. that's a great guy. I don't want to see him get injured. He does a lot of work, a he lot said, of good work. He said a lot of cool things recently. Uh, Seattle was his home. Seattle treated him really well, and he can't wait to treat Seattle the way he felt like he was treated. You know, he. I think Cliff was a... He didn't burn any bridges on his way out. Like a lot of these other veteran players we had, they burned every bridge on the way out. Michael Bennett, oh, was reading books and meetings. And uh, Richard Sherman, like, couldn't wait to throw Pete Carroll under the bus. Uh, Cliff, Cliff did nothing of the sort. And I, I appreciate that. I don't, I don't mind when guys move on. It's a business, right? You got to move on at some point, but you don't need to be a jerk about it, right? Yeah. You yeah. could be a professional. Um, so that, I like Cliff. You know, good for Cliff. Cliff's an awesome dude. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying don't have a personality either. I don't want to be that guy, but I'm just saying I hate when now I don't want Richard Sherman to be you my do. enemy. I love Richard Sherman, and I don't want him to be burying my team. Yeah, but it goes back to what we talked about, the distractions or whatever getting off the team. There were some childish people on this team. I love Richard Sherman, but he is way too petty. Petty and and <laughs> he's he, the pettiest. I, just, I loved it about him, but he's so petty. There's not an argument that guy didn't like. Yeah. And it's just frustrating. Like, grow up a little bit, man. Uh, see, and I didn't mind it, but it is one of those things where, you know, like I, I, like I think we all said it the whole time he was here. He's that guy you love on your team and hate on the other guy's team. Remember that time a year ago when he he belittled a reporter, yeah, and then he said he didn't do it, even though there's audio. And when people said there's audio, he he belittled those people. That was the moment where I was like, ah, this is gonna be ugly when he leaves, and I'm fine with it. I think we all knew that was going to happen, but yeah, exactly it is what it is. He gave us some good years, and you know what? I still like him. That, so next year, going into next year, the Seahawks are favored in uh, four games. Actually, I, I um, there's a mistake on this spreadsheet that that has been circulating Twitter. Uh, they didn't put lines, they didn't put week 17 in because most likely the game could not matter. Uh, but we're favored in that game too. But we're favored in three of the week one through 16 lines. We are underdogs. Or even money in every other game. Um, does it surprise you guys that the public seems to have really turned on this Seahawks team so much, Eric? Uh, no, I mean the public is the public. The national media, both of them, are like, "Oh, this the Seahawks team. They've dismantled the team. The Legion of Boom is gone. The once vaunted defense is gone." We're only favored by one and a half at home against Dallas. Yeah. We're only favored by one against San Francisco. What about that Denver game? Our home against Arizona in Week 17 were favorites. Uh, the Denver game, yeah, uh, away. Denver's a two-point favorite. That's that's BS. Chicago, Chicago's even money. Chicago on the road. There you go. A lot of people are are crapping on this team because of what what we're missing from I'll, last year. I'll what we're this. missing from three years ago. But look what we were last year. We none weren't of, very good on defense. None of these lines are big lines except for at. Los Angeles, they are seven-point favorites. That's ridiculous. That that's, is a huge line. That's a big line. Every other line is close. Um, yeah, I I think that a lot of the names are gone. You know, Sherman's gone, uh, Averill's gone, Bennett's gone. People don't people don't realize that 
you know, for half of last season, all those guys were gone too, and we won. We almost we got we were Blair Walsh away from going uh, eleven and five. That's right, and so, we have Seabass now. So I'm not I'm not su- super understanding of where all the the hate comes from. Uh, do I think this team is like a lo- a lock for the playoffs? No, absolutely not. The Rams are loaded. They're super loaded, and they have really pushed all their chips in on being good for this year and next year. After that, they are gonna they are gonna be in cap hell. Their team will fall apart. But this year and next year, they will be good. Um, Arizona is a very average football team, and San Francisco is the unstoppable hype train. I do not know what's going on. <laughs> what 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 has San Francisco done this offseason that people are so excited about? Uh, Jimmy G literally can't lose a football game, and they yeah, got rid of Carlos now, Hyde. I understand he's never greatest lost. football player ever, but like th- this, I heard they're inducting him in the Hall of Fame this season. Like they got McGlinchey, and now I'm supposed to think like that this is going to be like an office and Jarrett McKinnon. Is this going to be an awesome run game now with uh? Jarrett McKinnon, probably no, not. No, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to run for a thousand well, yards. Well, wide receiver, they got Pierre Garcon now. Like that's okay, he'll catch it too. Dante Wait, is it Pierre Garcon from four years ago? No. I don't know. I just don't get what's so exciting well, about. He this throws defense. it like Peyton Manning, and Pierre Garcon had a good time with Peyton. Manning. I think this good is call. like a this is like a slightly above average team. I would say us in San Francisco should be thought of as, as in very similar places. They're they might be on more of an upward trajectory than us. It might be more exciting to think about what's possible with San Francisco. But we have a way better quarterback than they do. I don't get what people are so crazy about San Francisco. They are for. a large box with question mark wrapping paper. You pretty much know what Seattle is. We're going to be a top 10 defense, a possible like top 15 offense, depending on what happens to the line. People think they know what Seattle is. But, but the 49ers, they could be anything. Well, Nathan, you said yeah, they that got, they got Tavares McFadden, who I think is like the most mystery box cornerback out there. <laughs> it's gonna be so good when everyone beats him for deep touchdowns. I don't know. He gets to learn behind Richard Sherman. I feel like that's like the perfect guy for him to and learn. He's behind. about as fast as Richard Sherman on crutches. So, ooh, uh, Nathan, you said you didn't understand the hate. Uh, a lot of people still don't have faith in Russell Wilson. Uh, even in the Super Bowl when he had a great game, they said it was all the defense. Our running game hasn't done anything in the last couple of years, and our offensive line has been terrible. So until that part of the game is proven, people won't have faith in Russ, and that way they can't have faith in the defense because we, quote, lost everybody. That's where this is happening. Also, with San Francisco, every year there's that golden team that's going to be great. Four years ago, man, the Bengals looked so good. They were going to be awesome. Let's hope the Niners turn into the Bengals. You know, there's something else with that, too, and that is I think that the change in coaching staff is something that is being underplayed big time. But I don't think people realized, like what Lidneed said, our offensive play calling was fractured. And that was why you never saw cohesion. If there's never cohesion in what to do with the team, the play calling reflects that. So having vision, I think Solari's proven he's a guy who understands how to scheme around what an offense wants to do. So I trust him a lot more. There, were, um, there but, were 29 quarterbacks in the NFL last year that qualified, uh, that had more than, I think, 400 dropbacks. Uh, of those quarterbacks, Ru- Russell Wilson was pressured the most. Okay, He had he was he only kept clean on 58.6% of his passes. His QB rating when he was kept clean was fifth in the league. Okay, the, the, the product of him not having a great season last year, although I thought he was fucking amazing, was the fact that he was just... He was under pressure 41.4% of the time. You know, it, it's hard because when he's under pressure, 47.4% completion percentage. That's just tough. It's tough to throw accurate passes when you're under pressure. So, yeah, he had 1,200 yards, a staggering 1,200 yards while under pressure last year. I think that he was awesome. Russell Wilson was awesome last year. He continued to be awesome. I'm very excited to see what, what this season holds for the for the Seahawks, especially because you're right, Kevin Solari is going to be—he's going to bring a new dimension to this offense in terms of holding the offensive linemen accountable for doing their jobs and teaching technique. Yeah, they—they just—they just seemed like they didn't know what they were doing. You know, uh, really quick, what was that number for clean pocket percentage? Oh, it was um, 41.4, so the opposite of that, 58.6. 58.6. So just to put this in perspective, the Seahawks' offensive line was so bad at blocking they successfully blocked slightly more often than Josh Allen completes a pass. Got him. Buffalo Bills fans, four of them committed suicide. There are only six left. So, um, 
Sorry. I, will, I, I shouldn't not, joke. I will not get off that train. Shouldn't joke about that. But, uh, you know, Buffalo Bills fandom is very sad right now. Their quarterbacks are Josh Allen and that guy from Alabama. AJ McCarron. Nope, nope. He's that guy from Alabama. Um, you got every guy from Alabama. Alabama quarterbacks, such a great um, lineage. In JP Lossman. He's the JP Lossman's from Alabama. No, nope. But he's a terrible from Tulane. He's a terrible Bills quarterback. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. We're going the other direction with that one. Uh, yeah, I just I had a Reddit, Reddit quip about that too. They were like the JP Lossman pick, man. That was rough. I was like, and you did it again. <laughs> got him. Uh, mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. Uh, top NFL stories this week. You guys care if I move on to that? Yeah, that's what I was ready for. Are All we going right. to talk about Mark Ingram doing drugs? Uh, no, I'm going to skip that. Okay, because he has a four-game suspension <laughs> for PED. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I, <laughs> Performance-enhancing drugs are so... it's. I don't care about it at all. Like I think players should be trying to take performance-enhancing drugs. No, I just think it's really interesting because they're like, what are they going to do? Uh, play Alvin Kamara more snaps? Yeah. This is not hard. Yeah, it's not... They're both really good. So Panic time. They have two good running backs. What a what a rough life they lead. <laughs> uh, C.J. Anderson signed with the Panthers. Yeah, 1.7,800,000 guarantee. Uh, uh, Eric, how do you feel about that not being the Seahawks signing him? Uh, you know, before the draft, that really would depress me now. It just kind of depresses me. I'm, I'm happy with Rashad Penny. I still don't know. I couldn't. Wouldn't this team look good if we had Rashad Penny and Carlos Hyde or Alfred Morris or C.J. Anderson? Nate, do you think this is a vote of confidence for Chris Carson's comeback or what? Uh, so can you tell me the, the details of the contract again? So it's $1.7 million, 800000 incentives. Um, yeah, we could afford that. I think this, I really think the team's trying to roll over cap till next year. I think you're right. I think the team's on a mission right now to roll over like $8 million in cap for next year. Like It just seems like that's what they're doing. Of people who don't know about the salary cap rules, if you hit the cap floor, you can roll over extra cap into next year's cap. Um, the Seahawks, since they haven't signed any of these budget guys towards the end of free agency, it makes me feel like that's their plan. Their plan is to roll over. Because like right now, you can go get Trey Boston or Eric Reed for like $2 million. I don't see why the team wouldn't do that if they want depth at safety, which... With Cam Chancellor's uncertainty and Earl Thomas has been hurt two of the last three years, it's it seems like a good move, right? Well, unless we talked about, you know, always compete, give uh, Delano Hill a chance. Sure, give all that I'm saying. Right, but put put him against Trey Boston and then really make him compete for that's it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> like I want to, I want to <laughs> see things. But uh, so, so we do have uh, Bradley McDougal too, the the forgotten signing at safety. Like that's a guy oh. who could play both positions. That, that poor guy wants to be right. on the field with Thomas and Chancellor so bad, and it's possibly never going to happen. Yeah, I I love Brad McDougald. He's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I just think that the I don't really care if we sign C.J. Anderson. To be honest with you, that we have our starting running back, we have a third down back, we have backups to both of those guys. I agree, and so, more backups, and then and then and then we also have Chris Carson, who I feel like is just like a total wild card. Can I? Give I'm not even. A- I'm not even including him in my backups to both those guys things because I'm thinking of like the starting running back is Penny, the the third down back is uh, McKissick. Mc, no, it's Notre Dame. Procise. Procise. Then the backups to those guys are Davis and McKissick, okay. and then we also have Chris Carson, who, who can, most likely will take Davis's spot. Right, and who can who if he's if he's ready to go, he's he's on the roster, but he's gonna have to compete for it. Uh, so can I give the story you don't care about before you go into the best story of the week? Okay. So the Saints released Kobe Fleener. Remember when that was supposed to be a thing? That yeah. was they that... signed Kobe Fleener. People were like, man, he's gonna do so well in that. No, you could tell how popular it was by fantasy football leagues because <laughs> he went so far, and it's like, hold on, this guy, this guy wasn't very good. He had All Andrew right. Luck thrown to him. The best story of the week. You ready? Former be. Titan State safety Michael Griffin signed a one-day contract to for. T- I'm just kidding. I hate one-day contracts. Just had to get it out there. Okay, Jason Witten. <laughs> he took his roster bonus and then took his talents to Monday Night Football. He said, "Dallas, it's been a good run. This is a business. Thank you for the roster bonus. I will see you guys never. I'm retiring. Separations I, in the preparation. I love it so much. It is so funny." Uh, he he didn't even ask them out on a second date. He went out with your mom and didn't call her back. Like that's what he did to Dallas. He went out with their mom and did not call them back. Like it is so good because they, to be honest with you, like they, I don't like what Dallas has done the last year or so. When you and run I think, everything like a business, people will run you like a business, right? And Jason went and just decided, you know what? I got this. I know exactly what to do. Um, Des Bryant, he I feel like he feels like Des got kind of hosed and. Des Bryant, yeah, I don't know how well he plays in today's NFL. He's a step slower than he used to be. He's just a kind of a, a he's like a, he's honestly kind of like Jimmy Graham. He's a big tight end that can't block and is really good in the red zone. 
Hmm. Like, how good is that in today's NFL? I don't know. I've never heard that before, Nathan. Like, uh, that comparison, that's very astute of you. And I would say they also have an uncreative offensive coordinator who can't scheme him through that because Linehan's just running Peyton's offense. I'll be honest. If Des Bryant makes it to the preseason without getting signed and he's out there for like $3 million and the Seahawks don't sign him, I'm going to be a little disappointed. So Because there's no way he can't compete for a roster spot with this wide receiver group. Yeah, he could definitely be better than DeMaurier Stringfellow. He supposedly... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. UW's finest DeMaurier Stringfellow? Yeah, he's got a puncher's chance. Uh, I I think it's funny. I heard that he refused a long term deal from the Ravens or like a multi year hey, contract. Prove it deal. He yeah, and he wants, wants a prove it deal. He doesn't want to get paid two twelve. He wants like one eight, and he just wants to like get out there, make it happen, and get a huge contract. That's why teams are scared to sign him though. Because like, do you really want a guy to just blow up and then leave immediately? It's, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a letdown, right? I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with it too. I, that's why we also I, would get a draft pick, wouldn't we? It's a perfect fit for us as Seahawks uh, in this position of Seahawks. I mean, we would be in positioning a draft pick. We saw how that worked out this season. The team obviously planned around trying to get third and fourth round compensatories, and, and then, then free agency market didn't really develop the way they expected. I it think was they, a weird free agency market. They wanted to get the guys who got cut. They wanted Sue. They wanted Jordy Nelson. They couldn't get them. So then they're like, well, we're just going to make a bunch of budget signings and roll over cap to next year. I think it's a good shift. Like they made a good shift into a different strategy. I also think it was cohesive with their draft. I that's that's something I really like about uh, in the PCJS era. You can argue with what you think were individual poor moves, or uh, what you think were mistakes in roster construction. But I think the thing that separates the Seahawks right now, um, and really what separates top tier teams from just those mid level teams, is the Seahawks understand and have scope on their roster they think about roster building as roster building and not a series of moves and that's what separates teams like uh you know the patriots the seahawks the steelers they're not just signing guys they're doing something also they have a plan also they don't try to fit square pegs into round holes they find the guys that fit their system or they change their system to fit the guys that they have Um, Or if they do, they make sure those are the low-risk moves. Because, like, right now, like, they went out and got Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle fits what they want to do. They want pass-catching running backs. Like, they already have their goal-line hammer. They want want two kinds of running backs. They want goal-line hammers, and they want pass-catchers. And they already have their goal-line hammer, the guy from Buffalo that I can't remember his name right now. Um, Man, why can't I remember that? What's that guy? They used to play for the Bills. Until Kevin, save me. Until you said the guy from Buffalo, I was de- I, I had it. Mike Gillisley. Gillisley, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Gillisley's going to be their goal line hammer, and then they've got Michelle and uh, James White and stuff to catch passes and, and be the other kind of back from that. Well, just like the Seahawks understand that right now, running the football is not super in vogue, but they also understand that what makes their offense tick best is when they have someone who can pick up yardage in between the tackles and who can take some of that pressure off of what Russ likes to do. Like if you look at our offense, people will talk about it being a little bit throwbackish where we're spending a fourth round pick on a blocking tight end, a first round pick on a running back. Um, we're going to have these kind of hulking interior linemen. But if you think about what the team's doing, it's really just another version of creating kind of movable chess pieces. Like Disley could still catch a pass. Um, you can flex out some of our tight end options. They're, they can play as slot receivers or tight ends. You're looking at running backs who can do more than one thing. Rashad Penny is not, you know, uh, is not Sonny Michelle as a pass catcher, but he's a lot like uh, Marshawn Lynch, where he's a guy who can get the ball in his hands. And once he has the ball in his hands in open space, this is a guy who had nine kick returns for a touchdown. He had a 73 yard just kind of catch and run for a touchdown in the senior bowl. He is really dangerous in open space. So clearly this is a team that understands what it wants to do. And it's more focused on making sure it's enabling its scheme to function as opposed to making sure that it has the draft pick. Everyone else is going to think is best. Can we go back to the matter of hand though? How is Jason Witten going to do in these two years before Eli Manning retires, warming the seat for Peyton Manning on Monday night football? Did you read, did you read that article? That's why Peyton Manning doesn't want to do Monday night football. Yeah, he can't no. announce Eli's games. So that means really? it's going to be CBS. I mean, I just don't understand it. Like, Peyton Manning's going to be the best. He's going to be the best. Like, I already know. I think Witten could be really good, though. Yeah, but, like, do you see the way Bromo breaks down the game, like, from a quarterback's yes. perspective? And you just know, like, 
Peyton's going to be like even better than that. And what was your that, line from Dak Prescott? He has that soothing southern drawl. Wait, why wouldn't they let what him do Eli's game? Wait, no. Oh, uh, Dak, Pres- Dak Prescott said the first. He said the first time he was in the huddle with Jason Witten, he wanted to make sure to do it perfect because he didn't want to disappoint Jason Witten. That's the thing about Jason Witten. Jason Witten is the Fred Rogers of the NFL. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, he's I so know. beloved. He's so beloved. And beloved by players, everyone. The other thing about Jason Witten is he's a tight end. As a tight end, you have to know the blocking scheme. You have to know the route running. You have to understand the play call. Tight ends have are kind of like a center in that they really have to know what's going on with the offense. And this is a very veteran tight end. I think Jason Witten is going to be extremely good at his job. So I, I actually think that we could be in for a bit of a uh, color commentary renaissance after what was a rough couple of years. Well, they just need to, they just need to freshen up the quarterbacks. Like and that, fire Troy Aikman. That's the thing. Like The quarterback, the old quarterbacks, the Sims, <laughs> Aikman, they're, like, they're not good. Who's the main announcer on Monday Night Football? Is that the guy who was... Who's no, not it's Mike? Some, it's someone no, the new. Whole, oh, uh, the whole lineup's new. So uh, they read it that they got Booger McFarlane to come in. He's going to be part of everything. <laughs> really? Have I you really, seen him do anything? I'll be honest. I'm not. He's, got a good, he's got a good presence. Yeah, he's got a good he's, voice. He's pretty good. It's like it's kind of a... It's a good lineup. The thing about Booger is, is I'm nervous. Like Monday Night Football's going to be really improvisational, and I'm wondering how he'll how he'll do. Uh, and it's Joe Tessitore on play-by-play, which he's is good. Clean. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. This uh, is a good booth. It should be fine. I'm not like... I'm not like over the moon about it, to be honest with you, but I think it'll be good. Monday Night Football sucks anyway, but at the end of the season, like the games are always so bad. I don't understand oh, how they do Nathan, this. Nathan, by, by week two, I mean. I don't understand how this happens every year. Like they try to put good, they try to put good, good games on Monday Night Football. The first two games of the season. Is that listed? Yes. Uh, yeah. The I can first tell you, two season, the first two games this year. First are one's ridiculous. horrible. Jets Lions. Wow. And that's then bad. Second one's Rams Raiders in the baseball field. That's Again, that's bad. Then Seahawks Bears. That's probably the best game uh, of the season. That's, that's two fairly eight and eightish teams. Yeah, they're both real. Like they're teams that are probably going to be okay. That could be fun. There's gonna be. It's gonna be pointsy. I think. The Steelers Buccaneers. Buccaneers should be zero and three by then. I hate that rock. I hate their team so much. I hate their draft. I hate everything about the Buccaneers. Just get ready. We do that in NFC South preview. I'm going to hate on the Buccaneers so much. I'm, I'm going to so do a great ready. job of convincing myself they're going to be a playoff contender, you, even though everyone, there's no reason. Everyone always does. I don't understand this about the Buccaneers. Fool's gold. It's every year, every year, everyone's talking themselves in the Buccaneers, and I'm like, why? They still have Jameis Winston as their quarterback. He still throws a billion interceptions. Like, you know what I like about Jameis Winston, though? He's the he guy really who gets in the huddle and he says, "Okay, who wants to win this game?" And Mike and he picked Mike Evans. Mike Quinney said yes, and that's smart. <laughs> you know, that was always your thing about Jameis Winston, so I had mentioned it. Remember when he ate those W's? He ate his fingers to make a W. Yeah, that was really dumb. It's the worst uh, hype up speech of all time. Crabbing McGreg. Um, yeah, there's just there's just a, a not. This is not a good schedule. Giants at at 49ers in week. 10? What is that? It's going to be great. That's Jimmy horrible. Garofalo. Why do the Giants have multiple Monday night games? The Giants Garofalo are horrible. They're going to be they're going to have won every game cuz they're the best New York He's team. He's going to be on pace to set every passing record and they're going to be there for it. That's in week 2. He's going to set the uh he's going to set the touchdown record in week 14. And uh he the, he so much foresight. He definitely wasn't setting any uh, counting stat records last year. Holy smokes. All right. Anyway, let's uh let's move on from Monday night football schedule talk uh We'll get into that. We have plenty of time to get into that in the next three weeks because there's not going to be any NFL news. Next for a three weeks while. are going to be a sorry, uh, all filler. No, no, we're we're bringing the heat, Kevin. We got content. Don't worry, I'm ready. We got content, but it's it's so we have uh, to make our own content. It's not like the like sometimes the the news week the content makes itself right. That's not going to be like that the next three weeks. <laughs> we're gonna get creative. If you want a fever dream of discussing uh, football tactics of uh breaking down what the seahawks like to do some philosophy you're gonna be you're gonna be in for a treat maybe some john or Gruden talk. you might want to skip a couple of weeks depending. my uh, no don't skip any weeks the my favorite uh news story download it, just you have to listen <laughs> my news yeah exactly please download don't listen my my th- here's an example of a news story that would have made it in the like these three weeks these really bad three weeks uh ben obamanu Got, became a lawyer. Wow. That story might have made the the wow. actual podcast if uh, if we were in. That's Obamanu how Manu moved to strike. That's how desperate thing, we're gonna get. Um, in the actual Reddit thread, second post. Who's this guy? Roll Tide. That's that too. Well, because the thing is, he got the he got the um, JD from Alabama, but he went to Auburn. 
So uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, yeah. Roll right. trees. Ben Almanu. Ben Almanu, cool guy. De- really mediocre wide receiver. Uh, sure. Whatever. He was the next guy along with uh, was it Jordy Kent. Remember, he was so fast, and then he the was Jordan forever. Kent. Yeah, that was okay. All right, let's head to the money zone where you can <laughs> learn how to help the Seahawks Nest podcast. You can head over to Seahawks, or sorry, patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest, where there are all kinds of goodies for you, uh, including uh, new $12 and $16 levels. That's right. And the $12 level, uh, you get to uh, make us advertise something. At the $16 level, you can make us watch a movie. Right now, we've got our first $16 patron, Forrest. Forrest, uh, I'm going to message him and ask him what movie he wants to make us watch because I'm pretty sure he's going to be on board. you got to do that one for two months. But I am So in s- June, you get to pick that no, movie no, no. and we'll watch it. No, not in June. I said that in the thing. It's a regular season podcast. So we'll watch it over the summer, but... I mean, we got to do the actual movie club in the regular season when the, you know, when the listenership gets the big swells to its largest one? size. I don't even care. Yeah, we'll week, give them week one. Week one. I don't even care. I'm so, position. I'm so excited. Like, I I like the idea that someone can make us watch a movie. Same um, here. So, Forrest, Lucas, Carrie, Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank, Tom, Michelle, and Brian, uh, thank you for your continued support. Also, Augustine and Brett. So... Um, those people are helping us out on patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. The other ways you can help us, you know, you a lot of you guys have headed over to iTunes and given us a five-star review or headed over to SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Republic, uh, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm naming just random podcasts. Podbean. Podbean? That's a thing. All right. Yeah, yeah. that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Someone clicked on our... <laughs> We have like a basically dead website. I was like, no one uses this website anymore. We don't even barely update it. Someone clicked on our podcast from the website last week, and I just like almost, my head almost exploded. I was like, how did they find this website? <laughs> what happened <laughs> that they got linked to this website? You also can give us a like on Facebook.com slash The Seahawks Nest, Twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest uh, for a follow. Um, we've been pretty active on Twitter lately, actually. Um, we've got a couple people just coming at us on Twitter all the time. Some good, many good. One, not as good uh jr batman thanks for uh jrb jrb's a good guy uh but the but the um there are some people that are definitely coming at us with a uh i feel like we got our first trolls now like people who just troll every opinion i have yeah i'm pretty good about that is it is i feel like maybe people don't like that we're positive about where we feel like that why would i not be positive since Pete carroll came in here the team's been consistently good like the worst season we had, we were seven and nine and made the playoffs. Like, oh no, yeah, we were also uh, then we were eight and eight and missed, or seven and nine and missed. Yeah, the second year. Yeah, that's but fine. I'm like, uh, there were those, overall like two. We lived through Rick Meyer, two not great years. I'm I when I was a kid, the Seahawks were consistently awful. I'm a okay with us going eight and eight and being competitive in every game and you having gotta, a top five quarterback. You got to understand, like that is that's a dream season compared to what I had to watch when I was a kid. And the Holmgren years, they weren't that great. There was and high highs and low lows. lows. And Matt Hasselbeck, as much as I I love that man, uh, Matthew Hasselbeck, not a very good quarterback. Uh, you know what? He was uh, he really was cool. He was below before his time. You know, he's the Andy Dalton of his time, right? Yes. Uh, you know what's really cool is uh, with the first win of the season, Pete Carroll ties Knox uh, really for wins as a Seahawks head coach. And if the Seahawks go eight and eight this year, Pete Carroll in two years less will surpass Mike Holmgren for most wins as a Seahawks head coach. Since Pete Carroll became the Seahawks head coach, I think we have the the eighth most wins in the entire league. Like, what are we complaining about? Like, we're consistently awesome. And we have, like, the th- third most playoff appearances? Correct. Like that. Yes. It's, like, it's good. Yeah. Times are good. And there's no reason to think that they're going to get bad right now. Uh, also, we still, have, we still have a top five quarterback. We still, have a, we still have one of the best defensive players in the league in Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner. Like, what? what do like I, this team now. Because trust the process, guys. This is going to be the year that we may be down. But we're going to go right back up and don't be like that. Oh, I knew they'd be good. No, claim it now. Yeah, get, get on, in line now. Get on the bandwagon. This team this year could make the playoffs. I'm not saying they will, but this is a borderline playoff contending team. And that's exciting. We should be excited about that. Because once you get into the NFL playoffs, six seats have won the title a bunch of times. Also, it's, don't uh, don't forget, it's, I don't want to kind of steal the uh, the great mood here, but expectations are low this year. So enjoy it. Yeah, just just like enjoy the ride. Maybe you'll actually be able to get 
go the first couple weeks, the tickets might be available for once. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Uh, wait until we get to the previews for position previews because there's going to be some position groups that are flying under the radar right now that are stacked with talent. There's going to be some NFL well-known names coming out of the season that we're going to be talking to you about going into the season. I'm looking at you, defensive line. I was going to say, the defensive line is stacked. The Anyone who thinks Dude. because we lost Bennett and Averill, like, I think that's a testament to what kind of depth we were building on this defensive line that we lost those two guys, and I still look at that defensive line depth chart, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be all right. It's going to be pretty good. Uh, yep. Rasheem Green is a is a nice add to that group too. I'm oh really, my goodness, that's I'm, such a good. Fit. I'm into it. I'm like so in now. The more the more you watch the kid on tape, the the more fun you, you're gonna have with this. You know, a lot of people might think like, oh, that wasn't supreme college production. Same was true for Frank Clark, and he turned into a good NFL player. He never had like a crazy production year. Uh, same's true with a lot of college defensive linemen. Right. There's a lot that they're putting together at that time, and just moving at that size is not easy. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, schemes in college. Like, you know, you're playing against Washington State, you're not going to get a lot of sacks because the whole they scheme is built ball. around getting the ball out in two seconds. It's like playing Tom Brady. Yeah, and then also, <laughs> like, Michigan also had other pass rushers, you know. So they, they, Taco Charlton's going off on the other side. Maybe Frank Clark's just getting doubled, right? Yeah, Maurice Hurst was one of the best uh, interior defensive linemen on that line, you know. Uh, Ta- and then you're looking at uh, Uchenna Nuosu, who was a second-round pick, I believe, yeah. for the Chargers. You know, that was a guy who got his fair share of sacks this season. Yeah. They always have a couple of guys. Maybe Green was just getting doubled on the other side, or maybe he was eating up the space that allowed Nuosu to be successful. you got to watch the plays because I think that might be part of it. All right. Yeah, if you think that USC hasn't produced good defensive linemen in the last 10 years, you need to watch more football. All right, so the <laughs> that's a shot directly at our Twitter troll right there. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Tennessee Tennessee Titans defensive lineman. Uh, Jarrell Casey. Jarrell Casey it went to USC and is a bad 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 man all right this week um a movie comes out called life of the party and it got me thinking uh about melissa mccarthy first but then party movie second and the reason that i wanted to do melissa mccarthy movie spy but i know you guys both haven't seen it and i'm pretty sure we did it but i'm not sure so uh you know augustine can you send me an email and let me know if we did that or not uh but anyway <laughs> thank uh, you unofficial seahawks nest secretary yeah, seriously, seriously uh but uh <laughs> The the more seriously, so I was thinking like, what's the best party movie ever? And I, I started to think and I thought, you know, I think we're all going to come up with the same answer. Or if, if it's not the same answer, it's going to be the movie that we all love that is a party movie. And so I was like, let's just do Superbad. So um, Superbad is a 2007 Seven. film, is it? Superbad? Yeah. Superbad is a 2007 film. Uh, it's directed by Greg Matola, written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who have done a lot of movies that you've probably liked. They are a, an excellent writing team. Uh, it stars Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah as Seth and Evan, um, you know, the based on the life. They kind of made the characters about themselves. Uh, Seth and Evan have been best friends for a long time. Uh, the characters are, they're not autobiographical, but they're kind of based on what their lives were actually like. Um, based on a true story. Seth is Jonah Hill. He's, they're, they're, they're kind of celebrating the end of their high school career. They want to go to a party. They want to uh, part have parties. They're both kind of dorks. Let's just put it that way. Um, they have another friend, McLovin, who gets a fake ID, and they, they get hooked into this big party where they're going to buy booze for the party, and uh, lots of hijinks ensue. What's McLovin's actual name in this movie? Uh, Fogel. Fogel. Remember that? There's that part of the movie at the beginning, I think about it all the time, because kids will try to come into ah, my... Ah, yes. Kids, kids like, my, they like my class. I, I have a good class, and so they'll try to... Between their other classes, they'll come say hi to me, and they'll just walk into my room. And I always think of that part in the movie where she's like, if you're not in this class, leave this class. Fogel! Hi, <laughs> just like yelling, yelling at him just to get out of her class. I have to do that all the time. Just like yell at kids to just go to their own class. Um, so yeah, th- this uh, we got Jonah Hill, Seth, Michael, Sarah's Evan. Um, there's a nice uh, Dave Franco uh, cameo that I that I love in this movie. Jolo Truglio has like a extended cameo that I love in this movie. This is before he was on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, so this was just another bit role for him. Yeah, it's like he he had been in a bunch of stuff, but never as he's like a, a, uh, he's from the comedy group The State, and a lot of those guys floated around doing different things and until they found their niche. And he was one of the last. Right, ones he was to in find like, his niche. He was like in Wet Hot American Summer, right? And then he didn't do like mm-hmm. hardly anything for so long, and then he gets this role in Superbad, and I think ever since then his. His uh, his career took off after that. He was in Pineapple Express, Role Models, a bunch of stuff like that. His role in Role Models is so funny, by the way. We have to do that movie at some point. I love that movie. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. So anyway, in this movie, what's your guys' favorite? Let's just do this. What's your guys' favorite hijink? What's your favorite like uh, like crazy thing that happens in this movie? Um, like, there's just so many crazy. This movie's hard to describe. Um, but I like the it's a, the, it's a um, collection of scenes, but it has a strong thread running. Oh, it has thing. a yeah. There's a coherent narrative. I like when they go to that party and he's like stealing the beer and putting it in the laundry <laughs> detergent, and then and then he's a uh, and then he's dancing with the girl and she gets period blood on his leg and this that whole thing. Yeah, just the awkwardness oh, of the whole scene. Look, we're like blood brothers, brothers. man. <laughs> that's Michael serves with the funny. He's with those dangerous guys in the other room. They 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 look dangerous. Like they're doing cocaine and they kind of vaguely threaten him because they think he's a singer. Yeah, they've seen. And aren't you, so, aren't you his brother? You're the, you know his brother, the singer. And he's like, "Uh, what? My brother's in from out of town, and you're not going to sing for him." <laughs> <laughs> and then he he sings very poorly, but it's really great. Yeah. So Joe Latruglio actually takes him to that party, and there's that part where he like you find they, out he's not invited. Yeah, he's not invited to this party, and then he they. He gets in a fight with this guy, and the guy punches him in the face, and Joel Trigg goes, don't let the tiger out of the cage, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's my favorite hijink in the movie. What about you guys? Uh, you know, I'll say the whole idea of getting booze, because I <laughs> yep. tried to get, uh, through a friend, tried to get booze before we were, we were 21, and it happens, someone's like, I can get booze. I have a fake ID. We're going to do it. Everyone's excited. The minute you go to get it, they become like the biggest wuss. I just, why am I getting it? It's like, bro, you have the ID. And in this movie, that, that was in real life what happened to me. In this movie, McLovin's like, oh no, I'm just, I'm really yeah, scared. That, all those like dream, all those like dream sequences they have too of him yes. walking through. And the, what about the one where like, where Seth like meets the old lady and she like helps him buy the booze and then like she high fives him on the way up. That, that was really funny. Have fun banging jewels. I will. <laughs> oh yeah, there's so many like, there's so, there's so many throwaway jokes in something like that where he's like, she's like i'll scratch my back you'll scratch yours and he's like that's kind of funny because my back is on my cock yeah like the, the, thing is, that, the follow-up to that is like she doesn't laugh at that and he's like so uh you you want me to get you some beer <laughs> it's just funny because like people say like this movie the thing the bash this movie gets is it's really it's really crude and it is yes but this is what idiot 17 year olds talk like idiot 17 year olds are just like this and these kids are the epitome of idiot 17 year olds in this movie i think that's why i like it so much there's still some wittiness too it's not like oh yeah just random f words it's f words with style well and I, you just hit on my favorite part of the movie is the dialogue yeah. the dialogue of this movie it's uh it's a lot of palling around and but also like like the cops they open the door for the house party and they're like hey mclovin you're like yeah, and but just, the, just the oh shit look, and they I'm apologize just... for cock blocking him. Yes. <laughs> well, that's when they go to open when they go to break up the party, and the door opens, and Bill Hader goes, "Oh no, it's the cops." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah, it's just there, there's a lot of really fun scenes. I think honestly, this movie reminds me a lot of Super Troopers. Wow. It's just there's a when lot of really scenes. funny good gags in here. I think this but movie's... the thread of the movie runs strong. I would say I like this movie much more than Super Troopers. Although I do like Super Troopers, don't get me wrong. This movie's just it's in my my upper echelon of like dumb comedies. It's like the very it's very very good. Um, I'll say one thing about the what I think may separate it for you Nathan. The end of the movie kind of tells you what the movie is about and it's really like Is the end when they're in the parking lot? That What's that? That ends at the when they're in the parking. No, line. I'm thinking about the mall. Oh, okay. Oh, it's like, it's like this male bonding moment where these guys are trying to get these girls that they yeah they want to get laid, but they also really care about them, and they kind of get the girls at the end, and they go their separate ways. They kind of, like the two main characters, the two guys have this kind of awkward goodbye, <laughs> and then as they're leaving, it's a really sweet uh, Curtis Mayfield song called "P.S. I Love You," and. Uh, you know, Evan kind of shoots a, a look, uh, a look back. Uh, or Seth, Seth shoots a look back at his friend as you know they're saying goodbye, and then they go their separate ways. Like it's not like they won't be friends, but that's kind of like the craziness ended. There's like that that brotherhood love there, and now they're moving on. Okay. I just reread this, and it, it's killing me. I'm looking at the plot on uh, Wikipedia, and the what they're at the mall for. 
So they're getting oh, yeah. college stuff. It's a Seth takes the escalator downstairs with Jules to buy concealer for her bruise, while Evan and Becca leave to go buy a new comforter to replace the one that she vomited on. Yeah, I love that part where they're so good. where they're sleeping. They're sleeping next to each other and they're drunk though, and they're like they're like like each other. Like they, it's just a, it's a good movie about like two best friends too. Eric, you're totally right. Like it's like it's about like growing up, but like you knowing that you'll still be friends, you know. And um, here another two interesting things about this movie. One. It was like the first film role for Emma Stone, who has gone on to do uh, quite oh, a few, crap. quite a few good things. Uh, it was the first film role for Chris Mintz Platts, McLovin, who has done gone on to do uh, quite a few things. And Two it was like films. the it was like one of the first film roles for Dave Franco, who is now like a pretty big star. This movie kind of broke out a bunch of people that um, Michael Sarah wasn't super huge before this. You know, like these guys all. This they, is the beginning of Michael Sarah Jonah Hill sick of Jonah Michael Hill. Films. This was one of his like earliest uh, huge things. Um, yeah, this was like a a big uh, it's a big big moment for a lot of these guys, and I think that it was it was really cool. Like I think that's this movie's awesome, and I um, it gave us a lot of really mainstream stars from it. So uh, this is a movie I think will be looked back on well. Uh, this movie's going to age well just because the way it's done. It's it. it because it's that mixture of crude and touching. Another thing too is is that like the the comedy is not um, referential; it's relatable. So like they're not referencing things that are gonna go bad in the future. Like it's not you know what I mean. Like Austin Powers, they just yeah. do like really time specific references. There's nothing like that in here. Like it's just yeah that like especially now the cops who want to prove they could have fun seems like even more of a thing that would happen in 2018 <laughs> than, it, than it would have in 2007. Um, so uh, yeah. Everyone in this involved in this movie has kind of gone on to bigger and better things. A um, little bit of trivia. Yeah, uh, go for it. The dick drawing. We've not touched <laughs> on the dick drawings. <laughs> how, he draw, how he draws like a million dicks. So I've, I was telling the guys that I watched this movie with commentary. Because you can have it on in the background. You can just listen to it. And you've seen the movie so much. You know what's, what's going on. So they had to, you know, they want to have like a, a little kid drawing dicks. But they, they can't have that. You know, they, they have to be really careful. The, the cuts... Are such in movies that they don't involve, you know, nudity and children or vulgarity in children. So they hired an uh, a like a thirty year old Asian woman, and that's the hand you see drawing dicks. <laughs> so, if you if you take anything from this podcast, take that. All right. So uh, for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, I'm Nathan Santo. We recommend you watch Superbad, and we'll see you next week. Go Hawks.